Welcome to Word Journeys, a podcast about etymology and the surprising stories behind the origins of English words. This is Dallas, coming to you from Philadelphia. Today's episode involves colors and dyes. We live in a very colorful world, but prior to the creation of synthetic dyes in the mid-1850s, color production was limited to what could be found in the natural world, and some of the sources for the most brilliant colors were extremely difficult to obtain. Perhaps the best example of this is Tyrian purple, a deep shade of purple which came from a secretion of a specific type of mollusk. Since obtaining it was quite labor-intensive, the dye was expensive, and clothing dyed with Tyrian purple eventually came to symbolize wealth and luxury. But today's episode involves another color which is relatively rare in the natural world, dark red. Many of the English words for this color today are etymologically related, and derived from how the dye used to be obtained, and it comes from an unexpected source. In this episode, we'll look at the history of these words, and we'll also figure out how the prickly pear cactus and a certain children's game might fit into the story. Stay with us. There are a few different sources for naturally occurring red dye that have been used since ancient times. Dyes often come from plants. One popular plant used for this purpose was the madder root. Red dye could be extracted from the dried skin of the root, and the use of this dye has been found throughout history, in diverse settings ranging from Mahenjo-daro in the Indus Valley in the 3rd millennium BCE, to Viking settlements in the north of England in the 10th century CE. Matter root was also used later to give the British redcoats their distinctive uniforms. Another example from the plant world was known as dragon's blood. It was a resin which came from certain trees in Africa and Asia. Or, a more imaginative explanation comes from 16th century geographer Richard Eden, who related a story about how dragon's blood was thought to be the solidified blood of dragons who had been defeated in battle by elephants. Dyes could also come from metallic ores. Iron oxide and lead oxide were both used as red pigments, as was mercury sulfide, which is better known as cinnabar, and has a brilliant dark red color. The word cinnabar is taken almost exactly from ancient Greek, but the ultimate origin of the word is uncertain. Many think it must be related to or taken from the Persian zanjafra, which meant the same thing. We'll talk more about cinnabar later. The very best dye that the natural world offered didn't come from a vegetable source or a mineral one, but an animal one. The creature is called the kermes, and it's a very tiny, round insect. Females of the kermes produce a very strong natural red dye, which lasts for a long time and is quite resistant to fading which made it preferable to all the other red dyes previously mentioned. In order to extract the dye, the kermes are collected, dried, and crushed, and then finally the mixture is boiled in lye to strengthen the binding properties of the dye. The word kermes comes from the Sanskrit word kermeja, meaning made by a worm, and referring to the bugs themselves. Eventually, the insects began to be more closely associated with the color they produced. The word passed from Sanskrit through Persian into Arabic, 
as Kermids, and then it passed into medieval Latin, picked up a Latin suffix, and became Cremesinus. This is where we get our English word crimson, which denotes a deep red color, but originated with the insects which created it. It began to be used in English in the early 1400s. It's also where we get the word carmen, another word for a brilliant red pigment. I just went through some etymologies in Arabic, getting us to kermes and crimson, and now I want to transition to some Greek etymologies based on another peculiar property of these insects. The kermes inhabit a species of oak tree, now called the kermes oak, which grows around the Mediterranean. In a connection with our horse hodgepodge episode, the Spanish word chaparro, which gave its name to the chaparral climate, refers to the kermes oak. In the part of the life cycle in which the kermes are collected, they become affixed to the oak trees and become very round, and they really look almost exactly like berries. And I've posted a picture on our website at www.wordjourneyspodcast.com if you're curious to see how similar it is. It's no surprise that many people thought the red dye came from berries and not insects. This is how it got its name in Greek. These oaks are very common in Greece, and the insects were given the name kakos. The Greek word kakos originally referred to grains, berries, or seeds, anything that was small and roundish. For example, in the Homeric hymn to Demeter, when Persephone makes the mistake of eating pomegranate seeds in the underworld, the Greek word for the pomegranate seed was kakos. This word began to be applied to the insects, under the false assumption that they were berries. Much like with crimson, the word kakos became more closely identified with the color. Today, the primary word for red in modern Greek is kokino. It's also true for Welsh, where the word for red is kok. The word kakos also led to some non-color-related English words in the scientific realm, Spherical bacteria were called kokos because they are berry-shaped, and it survives today in the words streptococcus, as in strep throat, and staphylococcus, as in a staph infection. In addition, the Greek word kokos passed through Latin and went into Old French as coke, which could refer to a shell. It was from this French word that we get the English word cocoon, a silk shell that an insect creates around itself, in which it undergoes metamorphosis. Now, let's shift again from Greek-derived words to Latin ones. By the first century BCE in Latin, the words for the Kermes were granum, meaning grain, and caucus. As in Greek, caucus could also refer to the color, and this was used by poets especially. But later on, by the late 4th century, there was another Latin word for the color of kermes. St. Jerome, the author of the Latin version of the Bible known as the Vulgate, translated the word for red in the book of Exodus as wormaculus, which means little worm. It seems that by this point, Latin, too, had a color word that was directly connected to the kermes insects. Wormaculus passed into Old French as verme, which entered English by the late 13th century as vermilion. So, crimson and vermilion 
derive their names from the same source. One interesting wrinkle is that the two words coexisted and represented slightly different colors. Crimson was more indicative of the color of the Kermes dye, where it gets its name, but vermilion was closely associated with the color of cinnabar, even though etymologically it should be the same as crimson. There's one more color word that might owe its source to the Kermes, and that's the word scarlet. Scarlet originally referred to a type of fine woolen cloth. It was often dyed with Kermes, which is how the word began to refer to the color instead of the material. But the origin of the word scarlet is a bit of a mystery. It came from the French escarlat, which is from the medieval Latin scarlatum. Variants of this word show up in all of the Romance languages, as well as in Germanic languages, such as the Old Norse scarlat, or the Dutch scharlaken. One hypothesis is that the origin is Germanic, from the German scarlaken meaning sheared cloth, but it seems unlikely that a Germanic source would then pass into all the Romance languages. A more plausible theory is that all these words come from the Arabic word siklat, first appearing in the 9th century, and also referring to an expensive dyed fabric. And the Arabic word siklat might come from the Latin word sigillatus, which referred to seals and signet rings. The meaning would be something like patterned, with the Arabic siklat fabrics being adorned with intricate patterns like those that were present on seals. To recap, the Latin sigillatus, referring to seals, went into the Arabic siklat, meaning intricate fabrics, often dyed red. This then became scarlatum, and then scarlet. Finally, these fabrics became more associated with the color, and it's only the color aspect that remains today. Here's one more argument in favor of this origin story. In the 8th and 9th centuries, southern Spain was controlled by Muslims. Kermes oaks grew extensively in Spain and were a common resource there. In addition, the mine at Almaden in southern Spain is home to the largest cinnabar reserves in the world. Spain was a red dye hotspot, and it was also a place where Spanish, Latin, and Arabic all would have been used in various forms. The conditions were certainly right for scarlet to bounce from Latin to Arabic to Spanish, especially in an area where the all-important Kermes dye was prevalent. The Kermes dye was widely traded throughout the ancient world and into the Middle Ages. Even though many types of oak trees in other parts of Europe had similar insects that produced red dye, it was the Kermes that left a legacy because its dye was a lot stronger and longer-lasting and other insect dyes paled in comparison. Its time in the sun, however, was about to come to an end. As Spanish colonization of the New World began in the 16th century, a new type of insect was discovered across the Atlantic. It was another scale insect, similar to the Kermes, and it lived on prickly pear cactuses. It became known as the cochineal, a word which is also derived from caucus, this time through Spanish. It also produced a deep red dye, and this technology was already in use by the Aztecs when the Spaniards arrived. The cochineal dye was a lot stronger and a lot more efficient than the Kermes dye, and the dyeing capacity of cochineal was more than ten times that of the Kermes. 
The Spaniards began to harvest cochineal, and it was brought to Spain and the Canary Islands. Cochineal was in ready supply, and soon demand for the Kermes plummeted. However, its etymological legacy had already been sealed. Cochineal, too, eventually faded away. After the discovery of synthetic dyes in the mid-1850s, demand for cochineal dried up in the latter half of the 19th century. Cochineal is still produced today in Latin America and the Canary Islands, and is used in cosmetics and food coloring. There are two final etymologies that are part of the legacy of the Kermes. Here's the first one. Recall how I said that the Latin words for the Kermes were caucus and granum, which is the source of the word grain, and both generally referred to the size and shape of the insects. The word grain in English today means a small hard seed, but early on in English, the word grain could refer specifically to the Kermes insect or the color it produced. Something dyed in the grain meant that it was imbued with Kermes, that is to say, deeply and thoroughly. This is where we get the word ingrain. An ingrained notion is very deep-seated, metaphorically representing something intensely dyed. The second etymology involves the old French word coche, which meant a notch or a groove. Some have connected this French word coche to cacos, because the Kermes appeared notched. I'll let you be the judge of that. Again, you can visit our website if you would like to see an image. But regardless of whether cacos is the source of coche, coche became escoche, meaning to make a notch or incision which went into Middle English as scotchen, and eventually became the verb scotch. Now, we don't really use that verb anymore, but it still appears elsewhere, in the word hopscotch. Participants would scotch or make an incision in the ground, and then hop over it. The word hopscotch appeared in English by 1801, and it's possible that the ultimate name for this activity also goes back to the appearance of the Kermes insect. There have been a lot of etymologies in this episode, and it's been confusing at times, so here's a more succinct recap. Names for colors generally come from things in nature that are that color. Over time, the color sticks, but the original object fades into obscurity. Crimson and vermilion are both derived from a specific kind of insect which produced red, but now they're just red colors. Scarlet referred to a kind of fabric which was dyed red, but now scarlet only represents the color and not the fabric. The same phenomenon happens in other languages as well. And as a side note to the color discussion, the fact that the Kermes look like berries led to such words as cocoon, ingrained, and hopscotch. All of these words owe their origin to a little creature which had a big impact on global trade. Now it's time for our Cognate Corner segment, where we consult the American Heritage Dictionary of Proto-Indo-European Roots and find out some cognates of our weekly words. Cognates are the etymological equivalent of cousins. They are words which evolved separately from the same source. This week, we'll continue to look at Kermes, Recall that the Sanskrit root at the source of Kermes is kermi, meaning worm. This is from a Proto-Indo-European form, wormi, meaning worm, which is also the source of our words worm, 
vermin, vermicelli, and yes, vermilion. This root has been connected to the Proto-Indo-European root where, meaning to turn, which is the ultimate source for many English words. Here are a few examples. Where turns into the Latin vertere, meaning to turn, which gives us English words such as versatile and divert. Through Old English, we get the words wreath and writhe. From Germanic roots, we get wriggle and wrestle. And finally, through Old French, we get ribald, all of which have something to do with turning. Last week I left you with the following word puzzle. There is a horse-related word, which is just a shortened form of a specific place name, and the word's meaning reflects how people got to this place. Can you think of what this word is? The answer is canter, a horse's pace between a trot and a gallop. Canter is a shortened form of Canterbury, or more specifically, the Canterbury Pace which was the pace of pilgrims riding to Canterbury. The Canterbury Cathedral was home to the shrine of Thomas a Becket, and was a pilgrimage site in the Middle Ages, and later was the setting for Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. Congratulations to Tori in Athens, Greece, who wrote in with the correct response. Here's a trivia question for this week. There's another English color word which is derived from the name of an insect in a different language. And like vermilion or crimson, this color represents the color produced when this insect was crushed. If you can think of the English color word I'm describing, write into us through the contact page of our website, and you might get a shout out in the next episode. That's all for this week. If you would like more information, or if you want to access some online sources on red dye, just visit our website at www.wordjourneyspodcast.com. As always, feel free to write in with questions, comments, or suggestions for future topics. If you've been enjoying the podcast, tell your friends about it, and please consider leaving a good rating and review on iTunes. Musical selections in this episode come from Lovira, Montplaisir, Paul Pittman, and Itua. This is Dallas Simons. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.